Hello, and welcome to the Marvelous Listener Podcast. I'm one your co-host, Henry. I'm the co-host, Matthew. Uh, and today we're going to talk about protagonists and our favourite examples um, in general as also like what we think makes a good protagonist. Um, but before that, though, um, like to plug our Instagram at Marvelous Listener Podcast. At the moment, we're doing our Star Wars in review. Um, today, literally today, we are doing the last one, Rise of Skywalker. Um, mm, two parts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, two parts. Because there's much opinions. Also, we have a Twitter account, at the Marvelous, where essentially the same thing, but on Twitter. Um, yeah, but today we're doing protagonists and our favourite examples. Mm-hmm. So, Matthew, do you want to talk about how you feel about what's a good protagonist in general? Well, where to begin? <laughs> um, much with like the villains we talked about last week, there are probably several ways you can go about having a hero mm-hmm. or a protagonist. As people are probably aware, you can have like an anti-hero. You can have a good hero. Mm-hmm. In more recent years, I've become partial to the uh, to the morally good hero. Yeah. Um, several key examples, which we might get to talk about later on have sort of swayed me to how that as a character can work because more often than not it doesn't it can come across as quite sickly and one not yeah and it just sort of makes you sigh every time they speak um Mm -hmm. and more often than not that also comes with um child protagonists (laughs) yeah generally i i am really not a fan I think that's a general rule. Yeah, I think that's a general rule for everyone that everyone kind of is iffy on children protagonists. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what have I written here? Um, sometimes it can be funny. They don't have to be though. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you know you, you have ones that don't need to be cool and badass, but sometimes you do have ones that are cool and badass. Yeah. You know, it's a fine line. It's uh, the you know, it's the benefit of choice. But, you know, generally they have to have a strong goal mm-hmm. that they want. They have to really want something, and you you need to be able to understand that want. Sometimes it's one you deeply empathise with. Other, other times it might not be one you necessarily understand, but you get why it means such a big deal. Yeah. What about for you? Um... I guess for me, it's mostly about like I can I can kind of excuse a weird performance or a, just a general kind of weird like it's it's not very funny even though you're trying to be funny. Uh, can it kind of excuse that if your character has like a really strong like arc and a really strong want and then some sort of growth like within that character? Like I can kind of that's my main thing about having a protagonist or even the supporting characters to a certain extent. Um, so I, I can definitely like characters that don't have the strongest um, arc or plot plot story or whatever. Um, but my favorite ones do generally become the ones that are from like beginning of the movie to the end of the movie. They are definitely different people. Um, mm. There's some sort of unique unique group. Um, I have to kind of see them experience like some form of consequence like usually i kind of um i kind of want to see them have a like really tough time of it <laughs> in the movie mm-hmm. uh, depending on 
like what they're going through um and in general yeah i feel like there's a lot of different things like the performance wise it's got to be well well suited for the role um in like a, in an action adventure movie you want to be a bit comedic maybe um, but also i just think it's important to humanize them by making them have some pretty big failure failures in what they think they are um a pretty good example, I guess, would be like an action hero who is also at the same time not that good at the action. So like Indiana Jones, for example, would be like a he's kind of very good at what he does, but at the same time he can just easily fall over and completely like mess it all up. <laughs> um, so I'm quite partial to that idea of a character who is in the the gen like the genre trope of like what that character is meant to be, but at the same time is somewhat subversive i kind of i kind of enjoy that sort of character mm-hmm. um but yeah uh, do you want to give your first like example i can do yes okay. um I, I, I don't know if you wanted to do this but for a bit of fun um i don't know if you want to write down three <laughs> characters that you think i'm gonna go for <laughs> right okay and then i could write three down for you Okay. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's only if you fancy it. Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> okay then. Okay. So um. Okay. okay. I think I know what you go for. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> so go for uh, three. I've got, I've got I've got a good idea. Uh huh. <laughs> um, I can't think of the third one. Oh, uh, interesting. I can think of the first two pretty easily, but the third one is a bit iffy. Um. Uh, oh, oh God! I'll come back to it. <laughs> I got the first two. <laughs> okay. <then>. Right. <laughs> okay. So I need to go first. Mm-hmm. Right. So my my first example is a very recent one. Right. Um, I'm gonna go for Johnny Lawrence. Oh. Okay. Right. So, for people who don't know who Johnny Lawrence is, he is the... Now, we talked about protagonists here, and I think Johnny Lawrence is just about the protagonist of Cobra Kai. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think if... Because like, there, there are a lot of... If anything, it's probably more of an ensemble thing. Yeah. But at the very start of the show, you are introduced to Johnny Lawrence as the protagonist. Mm-hmm. And I think most of it... Most of the show's themes carry through from his perspective. Yeah. Uh, so he he was he's sort of like a henchman slash villain of the original Karate Kid film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. However, completely revolutionised in Cobra Kai. Mm-hmm. And this is probably one of the one that I've talked about a character being morally good, and then I have one that probably isn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, he's very. He's probably the best way to describe him is he's a symptom of the eighties or a product of the eighties. <laughs> yeah. In that he is very um he's a he's a man's man. He says the word babe many times. <laughs> yes, he does. Yeah. That's very eighties. Uh, yeah, the word babe, the word pussy gets said a lot. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. Um but the main thing is that He's he's used really well in the show, in like telling a story that's both thematically 
similar to that of the original film, but very subversive at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you still have this standing up to bullies idea, mm-hmm. but you have it from the original bully's perspective. Yeah, you have it from a person who was once the bully, essentially. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and one of the, I think I said it in my review on Instagram, but one of the best things about showing generally is that every character is shown to be a bully as well as being bullied. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um. So you get more, you get more background as to why Johnny Lawrence joined Cobra Kai in the first place. Mm-hmm. But you also have this downtrodden guy. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think it's brilliant in the way that it doesn't necessarily make you feel sorry for him because he does nothing. Yeah. The thing is that he, he's an active protagonist, and he doesn't just sit about and do nothing. He starts Cobra Kai again. Mm-hmm. Out of a sense of you know trying to find a sense of purpose, I suppose. Yeah. And seeing him like form emotional attachments to some of his students, mm-hmm. it's really heartwarming. It's like a kind of the 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 I don't know how to describe it. It's kind of like the uh, the big bad guys opening up. Yeah, I always like when I was watching it when he was becoming a bit like. Uh, softer and a bit more caring it was kind of like seeing someone be the person that they could have been for the past 40 years <laughs> it's like yeah. oh he's really doing it <laughs> yeah it's sort of it, it's a really satisfying character growth yeah and I think also it's good that he doesn't completely lose himself and just become this altruistic good guy Mm-hmm. By the end, he's still the same character. By the end, he has the same personality traits. He's just more open, yeah, and a better, better, happier version of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with some, some, some better traits. Mm-hmm. And that, so, that's that, you know, sort of the end of season one on its own. Yeah, I think the beauty is the parallel in the first season of the the tournament at the end. Mm, yeah. Like I. I found it in a way it's a little bit predictable, right? But I feel like predictable. Predictable is like a, it's got a meaning of a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And one of the best things about Cobra Kai, again in general, is that you might think you've seen some of this before, or you might see the certain things coming, but they're presented well, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. hand, handled really well, and it's handled in a satisfying manner. So the yeah. fact that he in in the original Karate Kid film, the tournament where he's against Daniel LaRusso, he is told by his sensei to show no mercy and attack Danny's injury. Yeah. Which results in him losing the fight. Whereas in this, with him as the teacher, he tells his student to not go for the injury mm-hmm. and to show mercy. Yeah. Um... But he yeah. ends up winning as a result because he doesn't listen to him. I feel like it's a, it's a great way of doing a sequel and giving us more of the same, but at the same time having it be completely different. So in the sense that the external sort of conflict or general kind of structure of a big karate tournament at the end is like it is like a thing that we do, we're doing again, but the kind of internal meaning of it all and the growth that comes out of it is... Um, complete like 180 on what happened, what happened before um so it's a great way of doing the same but different if that makes sense um, mm-hmm. yeah 
yeah, that's, that's yeah. So yeah, my first one is John, Johnny Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a great protagonist, and I can't, I can't wait to see like what they're going to do with him, like forever and ever. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, I think for season three and four, which they're clearly going to do, I think yeah. you have a really, a, you also have a lot of potential, which is odd considering we've had two seasons. Yeah, um, still tell definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, have you got a first one? Right. Um, so my first one is, I think I want to like kind of go for like a really modern one for me, and kind of one that has stuck with me for a while, and kind of just I don't know. It's been like a really big thing for the past like five years, I guess. And I'm going to combine two into one, I guess. Um, so Ray Skywalker and Ben Solo. Um, can I just say that um, that's one ticked off my list? <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> look, look, they're great, okay? Um, so, Ray and Ben, I was... At first, I was like, okay, Ray, because for me, he's the protagonist, and so he has the most clear journey. Um, to gets... It's just a lot of great things with the character there, but also I realised that whenever I talk about Ray, it always ends up being a bit about Kylo. So whenever I say, "Well, Ray did this," I always go because Kylo did that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like where they work in tandem with each other, um, and I think they're such deep characters together um, that, and I think it's fascinating to see like the sort of I don't know the mass hysteria around who. Rear is and what Kylo is going to do and how was his redemption earned or whatever because I feel like from the first two movies and the third one concluding yeah, concluding that there was so much like room of like just these characters could do anything or go anywhere like they are they have some pretty unlimited potential of what they could do um because I could believe that they would do either one so like but I in general in Star Wars for me I don't really feel like the protagonist will ever become the like the go to the dark side. Like I don't ever believe Obi Wan would ever do that. Or even with Luke when he's confronting the Vader and Vader and uh, the Emperor, I don't ever really believe that Luke would actually go to the dark side. But like for me, whenever I see um, the Snoke uh, throne room scene in the Last Jedi, I generally believe that Rey would do that. Um, I and in Darth Skywalker, when when she decides that she won't leave the island and she won't do any more because she has she's a Palpatine apparently, um, the fact that she would go to the dark side and all just live this hermit life, I believe that she would do that, and that would be the end of her story, um, because I just feel like these characters have been well, so well built from the ground up and so well like being subversive, like from what we expect from Star Wars, that it's made them. I don't know, like a weirdly sort of, they're both my favourite characters in the franchise, but also they kind of work in, outside the realm of the franchise, that makes sense? Like, they kind mm-hmm. of, Ray especially, I think, is kind of a window into Star Wars for a viewer who is, I don't know, experiencing for the first time, maybe, um, mm-hmm. or coming back. Because, like, the same way in the first movie, for example, where she will react to um, the word Skywalker or or Han Solo. It's the same way that we all kind of react. And in Last Jedi, her disappointment is our disappointment. Um, in Rise yeah. Skywalker, her turmoil of like what is our identity in the here and now is kind of our turmoil in everyday life. 
Um, and yeah, I kind of, I kind of feel like they both work really well together. And for me, they both have really, really clear journeys. And I feel like the, the, the whole argument about Ryan Johnson versus JJ Abrams and all these other things is kind of weird to me because all I, all personally, all I feel that as they went movie, movie from movie was tell the same story but with new contexts. So, so like. It would, it's always going to be the journey for no one becoming someone. However, how do you tell that story with different viewpoints and how to tell it? Mm-hmm. Um, so Ray goes from being a no one to a uh, purple theme to being a Skywalker to and Ben becomes this murderous rage monster and become, goes even deeper to the dark side but also becomes Ben. Um, and to me it's all, it's all more for the most part at least very well earned. And I feel like the the three movies tell one story with these two characters just for different contexts and different styles, um, which is, I feel like my biggest praise of that trilogy in general is just the idea that it's more of a conversation as, as like a trilogy, if that makes sense. It's mm-hmm. kind of like the first movie says this thing, the second one says, maybe not, and the third one goes, maybe you're right, but also kind of <laughs> kind of right, so put two together <laughs> and make this two-hour film. Um, to say that and yeah I just I feel like in the past 10 years or so these two have kind of stuck out to me and they have stuck with me in terms of big block, blockbuster heroes and villains um yeah they're great and then do you agree with me that they're kind of like a standout um characters definitely yeah I yeah. think if you if you hadn't said it in your list I'd have said Ray in mine mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah um, mainly because I, I just think she's for for a sequel trilogy to the original films. Mm-hmm. She's the ec- she's an excellent, um, I suppose, avatar. Yeah, for many audiences to have, like you said, you know, when when Ray hears the word Skywalker, it's how we would react. Yeah, it's the idea of these are the legends of that we grew up on. Mm. Um, and as I think, as, as you've said before as well, that introduction for her is one of the best oh. like, visual sequences, yeah. probably in the franchise. Honestly, in terms of storytelling, for me, it's just a pure like just love letter to the entire Star Wars, whatever. But at the same time, telling this character's story at the same time, mm. it's a weird balance of like, oh my god, the Star Destroyer, but also. Oh my god, she's living inside it and she's all alone. <laughs> it's kind of like a weird mix that I think is really beautiful overall. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, and as as Ray grows into becoming a part of this legend that she grew up with in in the same way we did, I think it's really nice to just see how she fits in mm-hmm. and trying to find her place because her searching for her origin. In a way, I suppose that's also similar to the way we look at it. We're trying to find our place in this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and one, one, one thing that I, I see thrown up a lot, and I don't, I don't like basing my opinion on a character in response to criticism. Yeah. I, I didn't really try to avoid it, but I see a lot of people say that, you know, she never fails. Yeah, I don't understand I, that. I, I mean... <laughs> I, I see from the point of, yes, yeah, she never loses a, a battle. We never like, completely lose the battle. Mm-hmm. Like Luke gets his hand chopped off and falls down a big old shaft. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
but I, I feel like that's completely just disregarding the character's emotional journey because mm-hmm. her defeats are you know they're emotionally crushing blows yeah like when you know she thinks she thinks finn's dead in fourth awakens finding out that she's no one mm-hmm. that's that's that, that that's essentially like she's she's lost the whole battle there yeah definitely <laughs> the yeah. whole purpose has just been undermined and how how people disregard that as a defeat it blows my mind yeah and, and as well she 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 despite the fact she shanks ben in tross mm-hmm. she does lose that fight oh yeah she does yeah she completely loses it wasn't for leia doing the whole force thing she would have definitely lost that battle um yeah so yeah and i yeah i think she i feel like she has perhaps and more the most the most topsy-turvy strongest emotional journey out of the three trilogy heroes i know it's a bold claim <laughs> yeah um but while and that, that's not to undermine the others i mean i, I love luke's journey mm-hmm. but it's very much luke's luke's is very much the standard standard journey if that makes sense it's, like looking back it's become the hero's standard. journey no. yeah yeah um and without Luke's journey, Ray's doesn't work because of the subversion in, episode, in uh, Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you if you didn't have the "I am your father" moment in Empire, mm-hmm. the "your nobody" line wouldn't work as as much. Uh, yeah, I yeah, I completely agree with that in the sense that it takes what not just what we expect because I think a lot's been made about the fact that the sequel trilogy as a whole was very subversive and therefore not good because it wasn't what we wanted it to be. Um, I feel like it works off the notions that we all know to just make a new story. Um, and even though Force Awakens kind of has a very similar structure to New Hope or Rise of Skywalker can be a bit kind of tied to the past a bit too much. Um, I generally just get the feeling that they're just going backwards to go forwards in a lot of mm. ways. Uh, yeah. And it's... Honestly, I would, I am so excited for the possibility one day of seeing episode 10, 11, 12 or a TV show about Finn and Paul and Ray or whatever and seeing their stories be complete, completely unhooked from the past and it's nothing to do with Luke or Leia or the Palpatines or whatever. Mm. I, can't, I can't wait to see that happen because it probably definitely will. It's Star Wars. <laughs> um, yeah, it will. Maybe but... 10, maybe yeah, 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. I know recently... Um... The news has been doing a bit of circulation recently that in an interview, John Boyega said that he would return if the other two did. Mm, yeah. I think Daisy Ridley said something similar after Tross. She did, yeah. And I think um, Oscar Isaac said, if I, if I need a house, I will. Which is nice. seconds. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would look forward to seeing them as well. Mm-hmm. Ray more than the others, I think. I think you, you could actually have a really good dynamic if you lean on the Finn being force sensitive mm, yeah I do. like the idea that a person who had no life really until she was like 20 years old who thought her destiny was going to be defined by being somewhat linked to a Palpatine and being the new leader leader of the Jedi alongside an ex-stormtrooper like that's a great that's just a great idea to see like it yes. this, this works really well in my, in my mind at least um, and I can't wait to see 
I don't know, because I just, I don't, I'm going to live till I'm like, I'm 80 years old, and at some point, <laughs> I need to see, <laughs> like, episode 10, you know, or something. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> like, um, at some point, Disney will go, you know what, fuck it, <laughs> we'll do it. Um, yeah, it'll happen at some point. Definitely. I mean, I'd be surprised if we don't get at least a, a TV show or something like that. Mm, um, like we said before, if even if there's been a bit of split fandom for this trilogy, yeah, in in ten twenty years, the sequel trilogy will be seen in the same way the prequels are now. Oh, definitely. I completely believe this. And um, for, like people have like we're we're probably you and me are probably the top end of the generation. Mm-hmm. But yeah, people definitely. sort of 10, 15 years younger than us, that sort of range, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're growing up with the sequels. Yeah. And the whole thing of the, the sequels not being planned as an actual cohesive sort of story, um, I, whenever I think about that, and I think it does, I think the only movie for me that it applies to is the last one, uh, uh, Rise of Skywalker, because of the whole Palpatine kind of coming back and the new context and all these different things. Um, that's the only one where I kind of feel that. But I don't think in 10, not even like 10, maybe like five years' time, people that grow, grow up this trilogy and then kind of have it ingrained in the entire story, I don't think they will ever see inconsistencies in the story. I think they will just see, oh, it's Snoke, but it's funny because he's Palpatine. And they'll just think, oh, we all know that because it's Star Wars. Yeah. Um, I feel like these sort of generational differences are bound to crop up when you have... A franchise that started in 1977. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's definitely <laughs> some sort of like, no, this is what this is real Star Wars, <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> Even though it's all Star Wars, um, yeah, yeah. Do you want to move on? We can do. Right. What's your next one? My next one. I'm going to delve into TV now. Mm. One that I have recently experienced, and okay. still am experiencing. <laughs> All right. Uh, my pick for my next one is Rick Grimes. Right, Walking Dead. He is the protagonist in Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you don't know, I'm currently trying to smash my way through all ten seasons in the space of a month. Mm-hmm. I have about a season and a bit to go before it leaves Now TV at the end of October. <laughs> right. Um. But yeah, so I've I've watched it for the first time. I really enjoyed it, and one of the main reasons is that I really like Rick Grimes, the protagonist. Uh-huh. Um, how much do you know about The Walking Dead? I know that there is zombies, and at some they they go to like camps every once in a while and kind of do like a whole make a house thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, at some point, people die. I don't I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Um. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so Rick Grimes, I'll I'll, I'll do a little bit of a history. Right, here we go. Matthew, story time. Here we go. So, um, Rick Grimes is a um. Oh my god, I can't even remember the rank. He's a sheriff's deputy, the sheriff's deputy mm-hmm. in um Atlanta or right. Georgia, I think the state's Georgia. Um, and basically, he gets shot. While responding to um, an incident, and he ends up in like a mini mini coma. Mm-hmm. And when he wakes up in the hospital, um, the apocalypse has happened. Basically, <laughs> right? Zombies, 
Yeah, zombies have taken over. He wanders out of the hospital, has no idea what's going on. And basically, sort of the core of his mission to begin with is that he has to find his wife and his son. Mm-hmm. Um, his son's about... Maybe... Uh, no younger than 10. Right. Carl. <laughs> well, as, as, as Rick Grimes says, Carl. <laughs> Carl. Which is like a really, cause like a really exaggerated southern draw. Which, by the way, Andrew Lincoln is amazing. Right. Like, Love Actually yeah. will never be the same. Oh my god! Yeah, he's in that, isn't he? Oh. Oh yeah. I remember they did the they did the reunion for Love Actually. Yeah. It's like Red Nose Day. Mhm. It, it was like when they were filming Walking Dead. So, Rick Grimes, or not? Not Rick Grimes. Sorry, Andrew Lincoln's there. In the actually, with his big Rick Grimes beard and long greasy hair, <laughs> fresh from the kill, basically, um, yeah. And so, Rick, Rick uh, you mentioned before about like a character going through hard times. Mm-hmm. Well, Rick, Rick experiences some shit. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a lot happens to Rick during the course of uh, the show. He starts off as like um. Because obviously he was a cop, he starts off as uh, what the others, the other like survivors, nickname him uh, Officer Friendly. Oh. Because he starts off quite noble. Mhm. You know, we've got to save these people. We've got to go back for them. Mhm. And over the course of the seasons, he slowly, slowly loses his sense of self. <laughs> the oh point, no. One scene where he just, um, there's one scene in a church in season five. Mm-hmm. Where he just he just caves the guy's head in with a machete. Oh no, um, that's, that's a turn. <laughs> I mean, I mean, oh, they all get quite savage. But um, the reason I like him is that you have this. You, he always has that glimmer of good still there. Mm-hmm. Like for the first few seasons, he the first maybe two, he still maintains this this good. He's a good man. Yeah. And good father and all that, and you don't really lose the fact like that he's a good person, really, because in comparison to everybody else, he's pretty good, right? <laughs> um, and so you have, and you also have the stage where he continues to develop. I think, I mean, I think he's a popular character, yeah, among Walking Dead fans. Yeah, to be fair, me having no idea what Walking Dead is, I can tell you his face very easily and what he what he looks like. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think basically this is this is a way of saying I have no idea what other people think of him. Right. Yeah. Other than the fact that I think he's popular among Walking Dead fans. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love him. Yeah. <laughs> you also have the fact that he does he goes mad every season at some point. He goes a little bit insane. He has he has his insane face, which mm-hmm. is basically one one eye is wide open, the other, the other eye is sort of squinting a little bit. <laughs> normally, <laughs> normally he's quite teary mm. when he loses. It's a sad um, one. Yeah, um, he loses a lot. He loses a lot of people, mm-hmm. and his sort of without without sort of spoiling it, his what I'm going to describe as his exit storyline. Right. Is contains some of the show's best episodes. Right. Okay. Is the show over? Or is no. it just it's right? 
the next season is going to be the last one, but um, there are going to be films. Oh, okay. So not all over. Mm. Mm. Um, basically, to give context, um, Andrew Lincoln left, sort of, all like this announced that he was leaving before season nine was filmed, because right. he lives in England, and he has like a young family. Okay. Right. And because it's a TV show, they end up spending like two thirds of the year in Georgia. Yeah really far away <laughs> so he, yeah he decided he's going to come back um yeah. to england and basically he leaves the show but he's getting films <laughs> but on the plus side films <laughs> yeah right so yeah can he film outdoors sorry can he film next to his house <laughs> i don't know <laughs> and the contract put him in a green screen yeah yeah get a volume from Mandalorian. Oh yeah, yeah. Put in, uh, put some cardboard cutouts of the other characters in. Yeah. Thought. CGI their mouth. Yeah. <laughs> nobody will know the difference. Nobody. Nobody. Mm. So yeah, <laughs> it's a rather. That was a really messy talk about Rick Grimes. <laughs> um, you can't really think, so it's kind of difficult, I guess. Yeah. And there's there's about, there's about nine seasons worth of him. Mm-hmm. Go through. Um, but basically, uh, by by the later stages of his heart, he returns to a more compassionate version of himself, which is really heartwarming. So he comes full circle a bit. Basically, yeah. Right. He sort of becomes full circle, but he doesn't become the same person he was before. He becomes a better version, if that makes sense. He returns, but with different things. <laughs> yeah. That's a better of... man. Yes. The and also, yeah. also, he has like a really, really... I don't want to call it funny, but he has a really unique way of holding his gun as well. Yeah, I've seen how he holds a gun, actually. He sort of like holds it and points it downward. It's kind of like he's a bit too heavy for his hand. It's kind of like he's <laughs> getting pulled up by it. I like it. <laughs> yeah, he's making it his own. Yeah. 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 So, uh, if you want to go the hands all loosey-goosey. Sorry? The hands solo loosey-goosey sort of thing. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, like a sweary, bloody hand solo. Mm, yeah, the zombies. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah, and also he gets covered in blood at least once a season. Well, that's kind of a genre staple, isn't it? Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> Just blood. So, sometimes it's his mate's blood, sometimes it's a zombie's blood, sometimes it's his own blood. Oh, but you can guarantee mad face and covered in blood always happen. Right. <laughs> you sound like a character that has a lot of shit going on at all times. Oh, yeah. Never a quiet moment. Mm. <laughs> uh. Anyway, right. would you like to have you got another one? Uh, my next one is going to be kind of a, a weird ish one. Um, I'm gonna go for uh, John Wick. Interesting. So, yeah, yeah. So John Wick is a. It's weird because I wouldn't say he has that much depth or kind of a strong obvious arc. Um, but I can. The thing I really, really like about him is the fact that he is he is simultaneously the entire action genre hitman, ultimate hitman 
but also at the same time, a really kind of old has been kind of kind of not good as a job anymore as he should be kind of character. Um, and that's not to say he isn't like amazing at his job, job of killing people, um, which he is very good at doing. It's his entire thing. Um, but I think specifically in the first movie, especially, I like the idea that he's a character who is a legend and kind of like a myth who is coming back into this neon hitman world and but he kind of comes with that comes kind of like a he apparently in the old days he could kill someone in two seconds but this time will take him like a good one minute and it's kind of interesting to see him i don't know kind of fight his way through so many people but at the same time everyone kind of looks at him and goes you know as good as it used to be <laughs> and it's kind of like a weird mix to me where i kind of he's got that indiana jones quality of like he is an action hero he is everything that we think of when we think of like an action an action movie protagonist um but at the same time he kind of subverts those i guess some of the tropes that we kind of expect to see um in the sense that i kind of always feel like he is he has a kind of a warm side to him where it's kind of like oh but you're kind of like you're a nice guy though <laughs> you know you're a hitman that wears like a, a black suit the entire time and kills people with pencils um and yeah, I kind of just love the idea that he's a character who can kill someone with a, with a book or a pen, but at the same time, he just wants to like go home and like get a new dog and have a rest. <laughs> he sort of yeah, I just, I just really like him, and I think kind of yeah, Keanu Reeves gives a really good performance, and I feel like Keanu Reeves is very interesting because he's a great guy, and we all love him, but mm-hmm. as an actor, he has very. He has roles that are built to be made for him, and everything else, everything else is kind of iffy. Like, um, I feel like Neil from the Matrix is a pretty good example of a character who was built for him. Like a very, I wouldn't say emotionless, but also kind of like a very kind of straightforward um, kind of guy who is, yes, he is shocked by all these different things, but at the same time, like, he doesn't have like a very he isn't having. He's not making all these quips or all these remarks, or all these um, this sort of movie star sort of quality of he's got to bring his own personality to it, sort of thing. He very much just is saying the lines as they're meant to be said, in a weird way of like kind of do it, kind of doing it badly, but also not doing it bad. <laughs> um, so I think bringing him, making him like this hitman legend, and making him say all these really amazingly epic, cruel hitman lines, is is just perfect and like i think a great moment for me is when he's he's tied to a chair in the first one and he's um he <laughs> it's just a weird line when you think about it but the way he says it makes it, makes it sound so cruel and like eloquent where he's like every hey, he's asking me if you think i'm back and now i'm thinking yeah i think i'm back <laughs> and every time i hear that line i just go fucking yes <laughs> I'm right back. um and the way he says it is so it's it's hard to describe because the way like it's just kind of like him bringing his own quality to it, his own movie star quality personality sort of mm-hmm. thing to it, but not in like a I don't know like a Will Smith sort of way, where if Will Smith said that line or if Will Smith said any of Neo's lines, it would be very much a Will Smith sort of thing if that makes any sense. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, but Keanu Reeves he has like this weird mix where it's simultaneously perfect for the character. And perfect for Keanu Reeves to just be saying. <laughs> um, 
So when I hear him say it's half like damn right you're back and also oh Keanu. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, I think he's a perfect he's kind of a perfect action hero for the modern times in the sense that he is he is a a legend of the entire B movie hitman sort of thing. Um but also kind of over the hill and kind of every movie he gets beat the shit out of. And he has in the third movie how he loses his finger and at the end he falls off a building. Um Second movie, he is his house gets blown up, and he gets his. I think he gets his legs, leg, kind of broken at some point, maybe. Um, I remember he's pretty bashed by the end of it. Yeah, he's kind of not great by the end of every movie. Like at the end of at the end of every movie, he kind of stumbles away, kind of like ah, I, I made it, kind of. <laughs> um, yeah, so the first one, I think he ends the fight with like by barely living and like, kind of stumbling away to get a new dog. Um, the second movie, he is always oh, running away from all Hitman in New York, and he's kind of just stumbling around again. <laughs> and the third movie, he fell off a building, and he can't even get up. <laughs> um, so yeah, I feel like he's a character who has a lot of. I feel like you could you could keep on making more movies about him because you saw much of an archetype, and you can keep on doing and adding new things to him. Um, like I said before, he's not a. He's not the deepest character or the the most clearly kind of motivated or or um I don't know, want versus need sort of thing. Um but he is a kind of a a very magnetic sort of um combination of actor and character where it just feels right. <laughs> um yeah. Do you feel the same way about John Wick? Yeah, I think I think that's probably a good way of describing him. Um, mm. you have in a way sort of you have a solid a, a solid origin point to build like a universe around like they have done mm-hmm. like you have the, the, the idea of having this old hitman it's fairly it's sort of like a, an adapted archetype in a way it's the best way I can describe it yeah that's fit into like a crazy crazy world um, I also think the the tone that Keanu Reeves helped set. It's one that's very like a lot of action films are all do something and then one of the characters goes, "Oh my god, that was so cool," mm-hmm. which yeah. is really tiring. Mm-hmm. So to have John Wick literally do do the cool thing and not break the coolness in a way, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. And if he just, if he has any sort of reaction, it's mostly just being tired of that. <laughs> He's kind of like, oh, I just I killed someone really in a really cool way, but also, God, I'm tired. <laughs> mm. yeah. yeah, and I think that that tone that Keanu Reeves helps set perfectly because it has a really sort of grizzled, unnerved look, mm-hmm. like yeah. unmoved by anything, like that that. The, the ability for him to do that sort of sets the tone for the film. like Because you have other characters like... Um, oh, God, what's his face? Um, Lawrence Fishburne. Mm, yeah. Like, you have... like I remember at the end of John Wick 3, I'm pretty sure he says something pretty pretty outlandish, pretty wacky. I think, yeah, he does. But because of like, the tone that comes from, from Reeves and the general world, it's not taken like in a wacky way. It's... This is completely serious, and because of that, it's super cool. It's 
it's kind of the Fast and Furious thing that I love so much, um, which is the fact that they are ridiculous movies that are just so outlandish and kind of filled with like these cheesy action movie lines. Um, but they're compl- they play it completely straight. Like when Lawrence Fishburne says something completely ridiculous or kind of really screams that I'm coming back. <laughs> um, it's it's not played like a a joke of like, oh, we're doing the genre thing, but we know that it's the genre thing, so therefore it's a joke. It's more like, we know it's a genre thing, we're doing it, but the thing is, we're doing it with such confidence that it's, it's so infectious in how charming it is. <laughs> it's just like, oh, you're doing the thing from all those 90s B-movie action things, but you're just doing it with well-choreographed action and this perfect like character and actor sort of thing um and kind of doing some subversions here and there um i think that's a good way of putting it in the sense of that franchise as a whole and i think it depends on what you like about the franchise it depends on what which one you like the best like for me i really love the third one a lot um i like the third one as well i think it might be my favorite but i also hear a lot of people say that the first one is their only the only one that they, they do like um and I feel like it comes down to whether you cared a lot more about the idea of, um, I guess, John Wick kind of having that that sort of original motivating factor of him being, the the dog being killed and all that stuff. Um, and if you want it to be more of a slow burn movie, revenge sort of thing. Or are you in for the entire thing of like a ridiculous neon hitman world that <laughs> has things called markers where you have to pay some sort of blood debt? Um, and so underground, there's an underground place in Rome that is also a hitman thing. It's a hotel called the Concierge that has you can't kill anyone on it because the rules apply to it. And if you kill someone on Concierge grounds, you are the hitman's enemy from now on. Um, and it, the world with every movie gets a bit more ridiculous, a bit more outlandish, and a bit more a bit more neon as well. I've noticed actually, like the first, <laughs> this movie is kind of I wouldn't say muted, but it's very. It's not as like full on neon drenched New York City as the next two are, um, and I think it depends on what you want from this franchise. Depends on how much you want like it going forward. For me, the third one is my favorite, I think, because it's just it's the most John Wick if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they've lost that. More. I don't think they've yet to lose that motivating um, human factor of like his wife dying and his sort of he's kind of keeps he keeps on. Um, I don't know, compromising his soul to be like, to come back to being this killer of like this revenge killer. Um, so like we see him cut off his finger with with his ring on, um, in the third movie. So I feel like they're still they're still doing these character things enough for me to be like, he's still a human being and not some sort of character yet, um, which is always a danger you run into sometimes. Um, but yeah, I just I want to see more from this franchise from the same people, and I want to see him just get more ridiculous but don't lose that humanity with strong wick is kind of i think a great sort of amalgamation of um mm. currently yeah there's a lot to say about them and overall it's just a great performance by keanu reeves for me um, oh yeah definitely oh and also his outfit like the black suit it's just like a great outfit <laughs> that i really love um i feel like any great character that stands like the idea of like pop culture needs like an iconic outfit so like for me the idea of John Wick being in that all black suit with the tattoos on as well um is 
an iconic image, and I love it so much. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's it just I think it's they're just really well crafted films. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, mm. yeah. All right, do we move on? Uh, yeah, can do. Um, uh, where are we going to go next? Let's go for. Ellen Ripley. Mm, okay. Right. Um, with it approaching horror season, it feels apt that we go for the original badass final girl. Yeah. yeah that, the final. I don't mean to discredit other final girls because obviously there were more than more before her, but the badass one. Yeah. The best one. <laughs> um, I think we, we we've spoken about Alien and Aliens before. Mm-hmm. And again, those are the films that I'm talking about here. I haven't seen Alien Three. Mm, I haven't need. seen Alien Resurrection. You don't need to. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> um, mainly because I, I, I'm not going to say the crap or anything. I'm not going to make a judgment on them. All I'm going to say is that knowing um, what happens at the start of those films, I'm 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 just gonna I'm happy and content. With these two being my canon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the ending was the second one. Uh, um, so yeah, so you have like we've spoken about it on the past in in the past. Yeah, it's really weird in that she doesn't really become the main character of Alien until towards the end. Yeah, like watching it for the first time, I did feel the feel mm. the sense that. She just feels like one of the crew to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you, definitely. Like, if anyone, you maybe feel like um, Dallas is the main one. Yeah, um, she's kind of in the background a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She only really takes the forefront after Dallas is killed mm-hmm. or yeah. believed to be killed. Hmm. Um, so yeah, and it's and I, I really I found that really weird because knowing going in. Because I, I knew that she's supposed to be this badass character, yeah, and you you don't really get that in the first film until like maybe the last half an hour, yeah, where she it's... fights off the um, the xenomorph in the shuttle. Mm-hmm. But she, yeah, so most of it perhaps comes from aliens, where you have you also have like a more defined arc for her. She feels like more of a protagonist, and you have a really solid emotional journey where, you know, she's pretty devastated at the start to find out that her, is it, has her daughter died? Yeah, I think so. She has, yeah. And again, I find it absolutely crazy that that wasn't in the original cut. <laughs> yeah, there's some weird choices, choices with them. The <laughs> thing. Um, but is that that tiny detail dials uh, dials Ripley's arc to two eleven. Yeah, what, it makes it far meaningful. And I I can't imagine watching it without having that. I think when I first watched it, I had no idea about it. That was a while ago, so I don't remember what I thought about it. But it's definitely different. <laughs> it is. It's sort of you have this surrogate daughter that he, that she gets through a newt. And you have this sort of maybe romantic partner in Hicks. 
Mm-hmm. But you know, nothing, no, 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 nothing's committed to. <laughs> <laughs> um, but through through that, you just have to see her in this sort of horror sci-fi thing, where everybody, even the Marines, are losing their shit. You know, Hudson's having a bit of a meltdown. The other Marines have been slaughtered in, in droves. Yet she's just maintained the composure for the most part. I mean, obviously, you see her be affected by what's happening. Yeah. But then you have you have her confident enough to take stuff on. And I think that's what, what some protagonists often lack, especially in horror films. Like, you get the fact that she she knows the weight of what's happening. Mm-hmm. And you you know that she's perhaps a little bit afraid, like she is in the first one. Yeah. But she's doing something about it. Mm-hmm. Which she's is perhaps more, yeah. She's much more active in the second one, I would say. Mm. I mean, even yeah, I suppose even even in the first one, she's fairly active. Mm. Is yeah. is she the one that comes up with the idea of the flamethrower? Um, she I might. Remember. I think she's the one that at least does it first. Like she at least uses it first, so that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um and, and and I know she um I'm trying to remember Alien now. Um she so yeah, um she has kind of the most when you look back on the film going from like the end of it, she has the most kind of a she makes a choice that would have saved many lives of everyone if everyone was like listened to her. Yes. So yeah. like yeah, um, says don't come on board the ship because you have an alien on you and that could affect us all and we all die and then everyone kind of argues with her about it and then they get on board and then the alien happens <laughs> um, so she was right <laughs> uh, yeah. and she also beats Ash as well mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah because Ash turns on her and she's the one that defeats Ash um, but yeah you have you have especially what seems rare for like a horror film is you have a very active protagonist. Yeah. Like most of the time it's just maybe the protagonist running away and just running down, stumbling through corridors and stumbling their way through. Whereas with Ripley, there's a degree of she wants to sort of she wants to survive, but she wants to do so properly. <laughs> Does that make <laughs> yeah. sense? Mm-hmm. Like she wants to do it carefully and she wants to make sure that she does it right. As in saves as many of the others as possible. Um, and you have, you have like an admiration you have for her as well, the fact that she's willing to go back in on yeah. several occasions because she doesn't have to really go in in Aliens. Mm-hmm. She doesn't yeah. have to go with the Marines. Well, I suppose she does because she needs a license or something, doesn't she? Well, like, that's more of a, like, not really a reason. It's more kind of like, she wants to go back and defeat the nightmare of like the alien coming coming together. I think. Mm. Yeah, and she 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 yeah, and then you have actually later on in the film she goes back in to save Newt, mm-hmm. and you have that just the fact that she is willing to do that, mm-hmm. and the sense of admiration that you get from it, and the fact that she she is fundamentally changed, obviously. Through the film, that's as you would be if you get hunted by a chest-bursting, two-jawed creature. Yeah, it would. <laughs> um, but you feel like she gained something at the end of the second film, which is immensely satisfying. It's like a general arc. Uh-huh. Like she succeeded; she'd beaten the demon, so to speak. But at the same time, she's gained 
she's gained a little family. You know, you've got a surrogate daughter, and you, you've got a brother slash partner in Hicks, and then you have slightly creepy uncle in Bishop. <laughs> you have, like, a, the fun uncle that's also a bit like, is he drunk? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never sure what he's going to do next. Yeah. I think that Ripley as a character is really interesting to watch her journey in those first two films and kind of see her go from being a background player who is the one that makes the smart choices that kind of the very logic based choices that would have saved lives um but also throughout the movies she becomes a bit more emotional and becomes a bit more um active i guess and i think that in the next movie especially is when she becomes a much stronger character for me and it's because it's not like subtle or anything but it is kind of a really really nice to see her have like a have the story revolve around her gaining a family and defeating the nightmare of like the alien or like the idea that she just missed out on her entire life because of the cryo sleep and all this digging thing um Mm -hmm. so i feel like yeah having her kind of encounter a real like nightmare from space and then overcome it and at the same time gain a bit more humanity as it goes on is is really cool and a well done arc um but yeah, the third or fourth movie, the third one is, the third one, she's got a good character in it, and I feel like she's got a great performance, but it's hard to get over that immediate kind of thing of like, well, everyone's dead. <laughs> um, and the fourth one's like a clone of a clone of clone sort of thing, and it's not even Ripley, really. Um, yeah, it's, I for me as well, I don't want to disagree with this next two movies, because I do think they're going to have some merits to them, but for me, in terms of like, the character of Ripley, I always think about these 30 movies and then nothing much after that. <laughs> mm. um, yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's really... It's not like a big one to talk about because most people are aware mm-hmm. of how good a character Ripley is. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you have another one? Um, yeah. So, for me, I'm going to go for another for another Ryan Johnson movie special, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to go for Knives Out with Bonar Blanc. Bonoy? Bonat? Blanc. How do you pronounce his name? Benoit. Benoit Blanc, maybe. Um, <laughs> it says Daniel Craig, but with a southern accent. Um, okay, this character. I fucking love him. Um, oh, he's amazing. I cannot wait to see the possibility of having the Bonar Blanc adventures going forward <laughs> with Ryan Johnson as right writing this character forever um somewhat similar to uh, john wick i guess is he is the genre tropes to like max to the 11th like of like just like he's a full-on uh, he's got an accent he has like a weird name he wears a very iconic outfit he's a genius detective um he's smarter than everyone else he is he's kind of like that generic sherlock archetype sort of thing but with a different sort of like actor and outfit and um southern sort of accent but i feel like the really great thing about him is that because the story of knives out is so kind of subversive in the way it tells a a a detective story and actually kind of goes behind the curtains and becomes a crime story in the sense that we follow we follow um the main character who is quote-unquote the killer um and and i think it's interesting seeing it's interesting seeing the um, the detective do his amazing work that we always kind of 
be astounded. We all were kind of like, oh my god, it's amazing that he's figuring it out and all this. But it's also kind of funny to watch it in this movie where he is, yes, very smart, but also kind of dumb <laughs> in the sense that it's very easy, like it's very easy to trick him. And in the end, at the end of the day, he kind of gets overcome by the idea that the killer kind of just gives up by the end. <laughs> kind of goes, you know what? Here, here you go. Here's the evidence you need. Um, and it's, I think it's my favorite moment in my favorite moment in the film is when um, the main character and Bonar Blanc, um, the the main character gives him the evidence that he needs, which confirms that she's the killer. Um, and there's not a lot of spoilers here, I guess. Uh, but and then he he gets in and he goes, he goes, "You aren't really a good killer." And she goes, "Well, you're not really a good detective either." <laughs> and uh, they kind of like have a moment of like, Haha, "It's kind of funny." <laughs> and it's it's so sweet and lovely and kind of it's doing the trope at the same time as not doing the trope. And I think that's a great thing that Ryan Johnson does, which is he kind of takes what we expect and then doesn't do it but then does it again, but in a completely fresh way. So, like, whether it's Star Wars and the idea that he interrogated the idea, the myth of Luke Skywalker and the Jedi, um, and at the end reaffirmed the myth by making it something new and something different and kind of like a the ideal of what it should be. The same way, I think, in this movie, how he he made the idea of a story of a, a straight-up detective story and then did a subversion of that for the entire middle act and then came back to doing it again in the third act. But it's really good because it's kind of like not what we expected to do from the beginning. Um, so it's kind of doing what we expect, but not in the way we expected to do it in. Um, and I think this character, if he keeps on using him in this effect and is sort of like, if Ryan Johnson keeps on writing his character and he wants to keep doing it, I am all there for it to see this character just do I want to see, uh, and again, the similar thing of John Wick and kind of Reeves, it's the character and the actor being so perfectly matched together. It's, I feel like Daniel Craig, it's not the, I would never think in my mind to have Daniel Craig be a southern accent uh, the t- detective with a funny mm. name, but like, it's such a perfect, like, marriage of, oh, it's so good that, and everything he says is like a bit too on the nose, a bit too, like, the accent's a bit too, go- going too far sometimes. Um, it's kind of a bit like um, quirky, but not in a in-your-face way, but also kind of it is sometimes. <laughs> um, it's this weird mix of a character that I think is over the top, but also insanely sort of grounded in actual realistic characters. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I, he's just a great character that I want to see more from if we're going to have any more from him. And he, he is, again, similar to the other character I mentioned, but not an obvious sort of character arc or some sort of progression or want versus need or something like that but I just there's something about the idea that I love so much about the idea of taking a genre of a character if that makes sense or like a the archetype of a character and then going but he's not quite there yet <laughs> um, and I think that's one of my favorite kind of um, things that people do with these characters characters uh take what we expect but not do it the way we expected to do it in um which i said with the ending of the movie but also as in general i think throughout the movie he's kind of like what we expect but also not quite um all the twists and the turns um but yeah i just it's just a really good character <laughs> yeah <laughs> you agree? yeah i think what when, when you were gonna when you said knives out mm-hmm. 
While I, I do agree that Daniel Craig's Benoit Blanc is a sensational character, I thought you were going to go for Anna de Armas' character. Oh, she, she's great as well. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. Um, I think that the heart of that film lies with both of them. Yeah, it's kind of like a dual protagonist sort of thing. Yeah, and I think that you have such great strength from those two providing such like heart to it as well. Because mm-hmm. you have... I, I remember the, there's, a, the, there's a, like a conversation towards the end. I think um, Blanc, Blanc says something like, um, you're a good person or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's just the way he says it and the way sort of they help each other in a way. Yeah. Which I, I feel like is really rare and also to have in a detective thing where one of the suspects actually helps the detective. Mm, that's true, yeah. Um, especially towards the end. But yeah, I would agree that Blanc's character is... It's just, above maybe anything else, it's just such a joy to watch. Like, you can tell mm. they're all having a blast with yeah. it. You know, you could tell it was like a fun character to write and that Daniel Craig's having a blast playing him. I always remember the, the donut thing. <laughs> he's like, the donut's got a hole in it, but the hole's also got a hole in it. And this hole inside the hole is not quite the donut we expected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just brilliant. Uh, it's, yeah, I kind of, yeah, I think that's a great example I forgot about actually, was um that donut speech is just like a, the donut speech is just like a, a trope of the genre where, the detective has figured it out, and he will explain it to the audience in a really cool way. Um, but having him explain it in a really cool way, but also kind of like what, like so, like kind of like a he's saying he's saying things that if you think about for like a bit, he's kind of like, oh, if the donut is the mystery, then the hole was not what we expected the hole to be, which is the killer, because it's actually going to be this guy. Therefore, it's not the hole we expected, but also the donut has a hole in it in the sense that it's also the killer because the whole kind of represents the idea that she thought she killed him but didn't really do it because it was actually him and yeah. and it kind of makes sense if you think about it for a really long time but in the moment him saying it is like what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> what about donuts <laughs> um but yeah it's kind of that same thing i was saying before like doing the tropes but doing them different and i feel like Bonar blanc or whatever how you, however you pronounce it um is just a perfect a perfect example of that and i love him dearly and the performance is great and i want to see more <laughs> yeah that's it <laughs> yeah um yeah shall i go on to another one yeah, yeah. also speak speaking of, of daniel craig as i still was doing my research before this mm-hmm. empire right, they have like a ranking of the top their top 100 characters mm-hmm. yeah they had james bond at second Ah no, <laughs> no, no! Oh god, I think I think one day we'll get to it, but on like a podcast or on Instagram. But James Bond for me has never been a standout character. I don't really understand the appeal of him in general. I think the only good part of him would be Daniel Craig's version. Yeah, I and I struggle with all the others. <laughs> I struggle to find anything to like about the character like mm-hmm. <laughs> i get the idea that it's a kind of a not really a character more than it's just like i don't know a silhouette of a character in the sense that you can you can i don't know paint yourself onto him because he's just like a generic guy who's i don't know suave and whatever and doing the mission but 
Yeah, until about mm-hmm. oh, I don't really feel any sort of anything towards the character. I don't really hate the character. I just don't feel anything towards him. Um, and it takes a lot for me to be involved in the actual franchise. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, also, another one I acquired. Um, Ron Tomatoes had an article from 2010. And their number one was Borat. <laughs> the person that wrote this article, they had like a, a hundred film characters. And yeah. number one was number, Borat. Number one. I want to say it. Borat, good character. Like a good like little jokey thing. But the best character of all time, like writing-wise, is Borat. No. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm going to disagree on that one. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, let's move on. Quickly moving on. I'm going to throw some throw some respect and some appreciation towards Ron Perlman's Hellboy. Mmm, okay, yeah. Right. So this is this comes from an era when comic book movies are... They're on the up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've had, I think it's, what is it, it's around 2010, isn't it? About then, yeah. Um, so we've had the we've had the Raimi trilogy. We've had the goodness of that, the the sincerity there, and mm-hmm. with Del Toro's Hellboy, I feel like there's a similar sincereness yeah. with these films. Obviously, it's not the same. There are a lot of different styles to them, but I think that basic idea of we're doing this and we're doing this seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's great, and Del Toro's appreciation to the practical side of things helps enormously. Yeah, definitely. But there's just something about Ron Perlman as Hellboy that is just magical. <laughs> like, is, I, yeah. I I watched this quite a lot when I was younger, and I still love it now. But it's just the the charm of Hellboy as well. Mm-hmm. Like he feels like a little kid in many ways, because you know he's been hidden from the world for so long, and he he attributes certain like desperate and bit a bit needy characteristics that make you think, yeah, this 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 is this is like a an adult with, with stinted growth. Yeah, like they and but also do doing it that way, you have this idea of it appealing to some of our. Some of our human nature, anyway. Like you have this big red demon boy, <laughs> but at the same time, he's just so human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so like many a... things there that we relate to. He's he's flawed, but he's charmingly flawed. Mm-hmm. If that makes yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I think it's pointed out to me since is that one of the what I think is one of the, one of the best written and most powerful lines. From any comic book film, from a lot of films in general, right at the end, when yeah. Hellboy saves um, Selma Blair's character, I can't remember her name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, finally. He, yeah, and he he um and I, I can't remember the exact scenario, but he has to, he he, uh, he says something to the demon that nobody else hears or something. Um, and Selma Blair's character asks asks him. What he said, and he says something like, um, "I said, hey you on the other side, you better bring her back to me, 
because if you don't, I'll cross over and you won't like me when I'm angry or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But it's just the delivery, a bit like John Wick's line, in that it's not it's not a particularly special line of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's just done so unapologetically and with such great delivery. It's from the heart. <laughs> it's just so sweet. I know you know who's saying it as well. And it just mm-hmm. underlines the emotional side of this character. Why you just feel so connected to them. Yeah. Um, and I think as well, him, the character is very much kind of steeped in the whole idea of him being quite boyish. Like he's quite a... He, yes, he's like an adult man with like a six-pack and he smokes cigars. But at the same time, he loves cats and he is really like he loves his like father father figure and he's very emotional about his eventual death and he is kind of like a a mess of a human being in a sense that he's like when he's in like a relationship with the girl he is a messy sort of person who is kind of like he's kind of like a teenager learning learning how to be an adult but like 10 years too late Mm -hmm. um and i think a great example is uh in the there's like a flashback in the beginning beginning the second the second one and it's him as a child, and it's kind of like a, a very sweet scene that I feel like is very much a scene that you'd expect from any movie about a child and their father and a Christmas night. It was kind of like a he's going to bed where he wants to hear a story, and he's brushing his teeth and he's in pajamas. It's very much like a... It's like what we all kind of experience or see in films, but it just happens to be that he's also a red demon with big horns on his head. Mm. <laughs> um, it's kind of like a weird, a really good dual sort of a thing of like a really badass, cool character who is also just not quite there yet. <laughs> like um, he's just at the like kind of um, he's just growing up at the same time as being this sort of I don't know like a controlled person who has to have whatever he does is kind of like a government thing. If that makes sense, it's kind mm-hmm. of like a every choice he makes is some sort of like public sort of like um inquiry <laughs> um so yeah i think he's a great character and i think ron perlman is kind of a perfect mix of like really like cool like cool macho man like um charm but also kind of like a he isn't he's kind of an idiot though <laughs> sort of mm. thing um yeah i've, I've got the full quote mm. um <laughs> it's um so liz sherman asks in the dark i heard your voice what did you say and hellboy responds i said Hey, you on the other side, let her go because for her, I will cross over and then you'll be sorry. <laughs> oh, Which God. I feel like a really, like I said, it's just the emotional core of the character. Mm-hmm. And to have him as well, like you said, have that sort of boyish nature to him. Mm-hmm. Mm. And as well, apparently, Ron Perlman's really nice. Oh, yeah, he sounds lovely whenever I see him. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I, I heard a fact that it was like after. After the first two films, it might have been quite a while after. Mm-hmm. It was like for for a Make a Wish Foundation thing, he he sat through the entire like nine hour uh, makeup process just for like a kid. Oh, which is just like that's just so nice. Yeah, that's lovely. Thank you, Ron Perlman. Yeah. Also, his face is like perfectly built for that character. Oh yeah. <laughs> I can't explain how weird his weird and like but perfect but also kind of like just I don't know like his face is so weird <laughs> in general <laughs> yeah it is yeah. Oh, it's four hours sorry it's four hour mm, okay um, quite long <laughs> yeah 
yeah so yeah that's yeah i, I really love hellboy so the they have like a special look to them mm, yeah Even i want to see like a, yeah i i love to see more of those films but i want to see more of them from gilmore gilmore del toro, del toro because i feel like having him not there and we saw that happen once with that one film <laughs> um it went too far the other way to the badass cool side of it all um and it wasn't nearly as affecting at all. <laughs> um, I think yeah. it's a case of, again, like, people always... People seem to be like, oh, it's going to be R-rated, yeah, yeah. Let's go <laughs> yeah. for it. We want blood and guts. And this is just a case of the fact that that's not what makes it good. Yeah, it was... Something like this being R-rated isn't what makes it good. Yeah. It was borderline kind of, like, disgusting by the time we got to the third one without him in it and the top Del Toro. Um, it's off putting in general. <laughs> it's more um, torture porn than anything else. <laughs> honestly, it, it weirdly was, wasn't it? It was, mm. yeah, odd. Uh, yeah. <laughs> do you want to move on? Yep, can do. Um, so, my, my next one is a weird one that is not really a character, <laughs> I guess. Um, it's from Orson's 11, 12, 13. Um, and it's Brian, Brian? Brian Pitt's character, Rusty Ryan. Um, okay. So, yeah, it's a weird thing because he's not really that much of a character. He's more Brad Pitt at the height of his um, celebrity status in a big film with all these Hollywood stars and doing a heist uh, three times. Um, but the character to me is so funny, and he's just so he's just like a weird thing of like I don't even remember the character, but it's just Brad Pitt being really really smooth but also kind of like not really caring about what he's in <laughs> um so like we've seen him do that before or after when i think once upon once upon a time in hollywood we see that kind of he's playing a character who is indifferent to the world around him <laughs> in a lot of ways but i think in this film the first three autumn's 11 12 13 films he is such a perfect like it's a perfect way of explaining why those first three films really work so well and feel so individual. Um, because he's a character who is constantly in the background. He has barely any lines of real merit. Um, he is really cool. Uh, he is always eating food. It's kind of the thing that he does in the background. Like In every scene in the film, he's eating some sort of food. Whether it's like a a bag of crisps or a sandwich or an entire cheeseburger he's always eating in these three films and i think it's just a great it's just a great weird character doesn't need to be as good as he is because it could just be one note but having brad pitt play him and play him so charmingly smooth but also kind of like i don't know like a mile behind everyone else is so funny to me and whenever i see those films he's kind of the character who I gravitate towards the most. Um, mm-hmm. As like a, as the genre or this trilogy distilled into one character. And um, the second movie, they do give him a bit more to do. He has kind of like a character, slow character off in the sense that he he kind of regains a bit of um, a past relationship through, through um, kind of becoming a bit better of a character in the sense that he becomes a bit more sympathetic I guess to the actual to not just doing the heist but also kind of doing something else at the same time mm-hmm. uh, um, but yeah it's a weird one that I can't 
I can't explain why I like him so much, aside from the, the, the natural charm factor of a character who is constantly eating, wearing the best suits you've ever seen, doing most. But it's also Brad Pitt. But it was Brad Pitt at the height of his power at the same time. Um, and yeah, it's just a great character who I... I think just, ugh, there's many there's so many scenes in that first film, especially where I think him and George Clooney are talking about the plot. And Brad Pitt will literally be there. He will not reply to any question. He doesn't reply to any question in that in one some of the scenes. And George Clooney by himself will finish will finish the conversation and then he'll move on and do the plot. <laughs> um and I think that's a great example of this like weird, weird character that I just love of this like he's in talk, barely. He doesn't really do anything, really. He's just there being cruel. And I think kind of, kind, kind of barely similar to like a Han Solo type. It's important to have in your film to have like a character who's there who will just kind of offhand everything like that every character, every other character is doing very seriously. Um, and I think he's great for that. And yeah, I love him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all I got, really. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Do you know the character at all from the films? I have such little rec- rec- um, recollection of these films. Mm, I don't even know good. if I've seen them. Oh, they're so I must good. have seen them. The second one is my favourite one out of the, f- the first three because it's so... It's just a weird film. I can't describe it aside from saying that it's on purpose bad but also really good. It's mm-hmm. It's weird. Oh god, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> I I'm 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 gonna add a little bit to the T V now if that's alright. <laughs> yeah. I'm 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 gonna take a take a leaf uh, a leaf out of your book. Mm-hmm. What you've just done sort of sort of side heroes in a way. Mm-hmm. Um I'm I'm gonna go for Do you want to Brooklyn nine nine? I do, yeah. I'm going for Captain Raymond Holt. <laughs> Good. Who is <laughs> genuinely one of the best written best written comedic characters I have ever encountered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Literally every line is just it's such a peach. <laughs> That's yeah. the best way I can describe it. Mm-hmm. But like with if you wanted to add um, add weight to it, which you don't necessarily need, but what perhaps tips him off is that you actually care about him. Mm-hmm. Like he's yeah. not just um, he's not just some uptight boss. Like he has like a clear emotional sort of background to him. Yeah, and he's saying like all these unintentionally hilarious things, but you also like really care about him. It's like a oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the one, the one that always sticks out to me is the one with the, with the dog. <laughs> and they give him a different dog, and he says something like, says, "You're not my cheddar. You're just some common bitch." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I love that character. Um, mm. I think from the get go, he's kind of, like you said, he could have easily been a a stern um, boss kind of character. Um, but I think over the, the time of even the first season, they kind of have these small little moments where you kind of see his home life and his background and his love for his dog <laughs> and stuff like that. And I think as the series goes on, he gets more and more kind of... He gets more and more 
soft and kind of human, but at the same time, they never lose that kind of stern robotic side to him. So mm. when we learn more about him, it becomes more of like a seeing him be stern and robotic is kind of like seeing seeing him do a performance, and it's kind of lo- lovely to see like a guy be one character, even though we know he's not really that character. Um, and it's all kind of an act, but underneath that all, he's kind of a sweet, soft guy who loves everyone around him. <laughs> mm. um, and I think that's what's so basically nice about it, the fact that he loves everyone around him in the weird kind of, like, a weird um, mm. uh, rental figure for a lot of them. Um, and yeah, I kind of... He's a, he's a good character. <laughs> he really is. Yeah, I think... Um... As well, it's excellently, excellently performed, excellently written. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the one of the best comedic characters around. There's a great line that I think is really uh, telling of what the character is, where he, he says, um, "He gets a medal from his like art nemesis, the woman, the woman, the woman." <laughs> and he got, he got, he says to himself before before he goes up there, he's going to be really respectful <laughs> and all these other things, and he kind of goes up there and he. He gets the medal, and he's really respectful, and he's really nice, and then she goes away from him. And then he turns to her and goes, says something like, like something really mean to her, and then goes, ha, got two ways, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really great moment where it becomes, he just becomes just like a human character in these little, these little tiny moments, and it's, it's so sweet. <laughs> and yeah, I think that, that show is very much like a comfort food sort of show. And I think it's, largely because the characters are so I wouldn't say like they're full of depth or anything but I do think they are there's different sides to all of them and I feel like whenever we see the different sides happen it's always kind of like oh but we know what you're really like and it's kind of that sort of sweetness that kind of makes that show show great overall um yeah I think I think yeah I'm just sort of look up with you and I've just reminded myself of all the you know all the greetings he gives to uh, Captain when, um, the Captain whatever mm-hmm. I've yeah. just gone <laughs> Captain Wunch good to see you but if you're here who's guarding Hades <laughs> <laughs> and the way he says like whenever he does like a joke it's so like a proud joke where he's so like happy that he made a joke in general mm-hmm. uh, yeah he's good <laughs> yeah it's just so yeah, mm. and I think it's just like a sweet thing where I can see he grows as it goes on. Like the Raymond, the Raymond Holt that you have at the beginning wouldn't say these things to the other lieutenant or the other captain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like you true. can see like the way that Jake and all the others have slowly not worn him down, but they've sort of had an effect on him. Yeah, um... he's he's perhaps. I feel like all the characters on Brooklyn Nine-Nine are funny. Mm-hmm. But I think with him, you have you have the sense where any scene that he's in could be hilarious. <laughs> yeah. You could say one line and just beat everyone else in being funny, you know. Um, and I find it interesting how when I, whenever I go back to that show on TV, I kind of see them do different things. I, I won't lie, that I haven't. I have kind of somewhat dropped off recently. I haven't been keeping up with it, but um, whenever I see new episodes, I realise that they they actually are doing like different things with the characters. Like the last time I saw it, I think Jake Peralta was actually the head of the the department, and Raymond was actually under him, like working as a officer, like a detective thing. Um, so I feel like it's a really great thing for that show, like to see keep coming back 
to it and realizing they're not just doing the same thing over and over again. Um, mm. Which is what sitcoms can sometimes do and get real stale. Um, mm. So I'm happy that they're doing different things as well. Um, yeah, I feel like one of the one of the best things about it is that they always have like the same. They have the same sort of things sometimes. Like they have the Halloween. Is it Halloween? Yeah, the heist. They have the yeah. Halloween heist each time, and it's more outlandish. Mm-hmm. But each of them have they, they add something. Yeah, yeah. It's not like they're doing it because they feel like they have to, and it's part of the series. They do it because like they add like emotional weight to it. Yeah. Like particularly with Jake and Amy, like um, in some of the later ones, obviously some of their more sweet moments happen during it. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, and yeah, like I said, it's a really it's a comedy show that has a heart, basically. Yeah. And I don't think the heart overweighs the actual being funny of the show. Um, it helps some... anyway. Yeah, definitely. Because um, there are some shows I have, I succumb sort of show things. Um, where I've seen them and I realise that the show is more sweet than actually being funny. Um, and I feel like for me that's kind of like a, it, I don't want everybody want to see. Well, I don't want to go want to go through the series if it's going to be so. I don't know. Like obviously, this is the funny part, and this is the sweet part. This is the funny part. This is the sweet part. I kind of like the idea of them Brooklyn Brooklyn Nine especially doing it so well, where they're kind of one and the same a lot of the time. Um, mm. Yeah. Can yeah. we move on? Yeah, we can do. Um, my next one is, in my opinion, the much, 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 much better version of James Bond, Ethan Hunt. From Mr. Possible. Right. Oh, I, I, I wasn't going to go for that on my list. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> right. So, okay. So this character, I feel like the main reason I love him is the Tom Cruise factor. Of course, it's kind of like a. It's one and the same for me. Yeah, I, I can easily say Tom Cruise right now instead of seeing saying Ethan Hunt. Um, but getting into the behind the scenes sort of like why. On like a writing level, I like this character. Um, is because with each film, um, especially in the first four, kind of five, each each film, this character becomes somewhat like a different archetype. So in the first one, he's very much a part of the crew kind of guy who is just doing the mission and and he's kind of like in the background for the first twenty minutes. Um, but then through really terrible circumstances, he becomes the main character and becomes like a a character who is on his own, he can't he has no friends really and he's kinda of doing this whole thing by himself to kind of get his name cleared. Um and it's very simple. It's not I'm not saying from that movie he's gonna be a great character, but it's a very simple way of introducing a character in his first movie and having him be not quite the main character until he has to become the main character through the story. Um so then going to the second one is kind of the only one that I'm kind of iffy on, which is when they kind of make him the James Bond off the franchise, it's kind of like he becomes the cool guy with long hair and he can do all these incredible stunts and do all these motorbike things and he never has any sort of consequences or any sort of harm come to him. Um, and it's kind of interesting to watch that the second film and be like, oh, you are so different from the rest of the films. Because <laughs> uh, he's such like a different character in that film. And uh, the filmmaking is completely different as well because of John Woo and all the different sort of decisions that they've made. Um, and yeah, but in the third movie, we kind of get the very start of like him becoming the character we see going forward, which is under JJ Abrams, we get to see this character become a bit more human, a bit more personal with his stakes and what 
he's getting married and he's having a ha- like a family life, but he has to kind of he's kind of dealing with giving up because of um, the um, Mission Impossible kind of force kind of agency sort of side of it, um, and it kind of gets a bit deeper with this with this um, with this film, and it kind of starts the arc for him going forward, which is the idea that he's kind of a He's kind of a guy who always makes the personal sacrifice and he will never let anyone else take it for him. Um, and it's kind of interesting to see him do that in a world where there's constantly this up and up, like high and high in stakes. Um, so in the fourth film, I think is when we get this the best. And I think it comes from this one line that has stuck with me forever about this character and this franchise in general, which makes me love it so much, is Ethan Hunt, when he's in this car and he's racing towards just, just the next location of the big plot. Um, and someone says to him, Okay, we've got two minutes before this nuclear bomb kills everyone. Um, and someone says to him, like, mathematically, scientifically, we are ten minutes at least away from this place in the car, no matter how, how fast you drive. And he goes, he looks over to the person and goes, uh, we'll make it. <laughs> and he looks back at him and he goes, we'll make it, okay, just don't worry, we'll make it. And then he just makes it. <laughs> it's, for me, the greatest, the greatest of this character is the idea that he is this weird force of nature and in the fifth movie they really go for it in the sense that they tell the audience practically with a really great um, speech from Alec, Guin- from Alec Guinness <laughs> Alec Baldwin um, who says like a really long speech about why Ethan Hunt is like a he said, I'm going to quote him here actually, he says Ethan Hunt is the manifestation of destiny <laughs> which is a perfectly on the nose cheesy but so hard on your sleeve sort of line of like we're going for it here with this character and and the thing is when you you hear it and you go you kind of roll your eyes like I don't think he is <laughs> but <laughs> at the same time you think about all, all of his accents what he said what he says he's going to do he does do it like and the thing is like that can get really boring which for me is James Bond where he is a character who says I'm going to do this and then he does it and it's kind of boring but the difference for me with Ethan Hunt is that he is a very like fallible sort of character he can be wrong and he can be beaten up and he can almost die and he can he cannot get him a guffin in time he can fail many many times but at the end of the day he will like just few pure love of his friends and kind of just um perseverance of just all the odds against him he will by his skin of his teeth like just do it by tranche um and i think that's a great it's a great moral for an action hero to be like against all odds and kind of get beaten up. And, and I mean, in the fourth movie, he gets his arm and leg broken and still, oh, and gets in a car and then drives his car off a cliff and then lands perfectly. And by that, I mean, by perfectly, I mean, I mean, like front, like vertical land his car <laughs> and the, the, the cushion in the seat, the, what do you call it? The, the cushion in the seat thing. What do you call it? The cushion in the, in the wheel that comes out? The, the airbag, airbag. airbag. The airbag's the only saving grace. He stumbles outside, out the car, crawls, bleeding to this nuclear suit suitcase thing, and he presses the button and goes, "Mission accomplished." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "Yes, this is fucking great." Um, and again, I think the fifth and sixth movie, especially, have really deepened the character for me um, by making him a bit more human and a bit more self-sacrificial. So he won't just do it for the general cause of a nuclear holocaust he'll, holocaust he'll do it because like he doesn't want to see Finn Graham's character die or he doesn't want to see Simon Pegg's character Benji die it's mm. all kind of 
a weird self-sacrificing way where he will take all the odds against him and he will rather I mean the in the sixth movie especially where I think the character's at its best and the latest one, Fallout. Um yeah. oh, I, I love begin, Fallout. <laughs> it's incredible. That film is incredible. Um it's a great moment in the first it's a great arc for him. And it's not really like a a deep arc, but it it is there and I think it's really great how they handle it. Um it's in the beginning of the film he doesn't give up the nuclear cords or nuclear I think the plutonium, I think it is. Um because it's possible that they, they might kill uh, Ving Rhames' character. And it's not because of some sort of, like, if they kill Ving Rhames, the world will end, end anyway. It'll be, it's just because he doesn't want to see his friend get killed or get hurt. Um, he gives up nuclear cords to help a friend. <laughs> like, he's insane, but, like, so, like, nice, that mm-hmm. character. Um, and so caring of humanity by the time we get to, get to the latest ones. Um, and throughout the entire movie, I mean, Alec Guinness, again, kind of says what... The movie is trying to fall out. He kind of says to Alec Guinness again. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alec Baldwin. He kind of says it again. Um, the the whole point of the character again to the audience, where he kind of just goes, "You yeah, have some sort of deep flaw, deep in your humanity that won't let you, um, won't let you give up one life to millions." And he says, "But that's in your flaw. That's your greatest strength." And it kind of like the entire movie kind of interrogates that and has many moments of him giving up, not giving up one life for the many. It's kind of like a... He just yeah, won't... have the prison, the prison bus. Yeah, yeah. He won't, he just won't do it. And it's through, it's just through sheer will and love and energy and testament to Tom Cruise doing all the stunts as well and all that, that he will, by the end of the movie, somehow, even though you can't really believe it, he will somehow get to the MacGuffin and press the button and go... Okay, <laughs> we're done. <laughs> I saved the world. Um, and I think he's kind of like the difference between him and a James Bond sort of thing, where James Bond doesn't really have any emotional ties, doesn't really have any flaws. And I'm talking before Daniel Craig, especially for me. Um, so, mm. like before Daniel Craig, it was kind of a character who just did things and just got away with it and didn't really have to do any, didn't really have any, I don't know, stakes to go up against. It wasn't very much. It was more seeing a guy do something really cool on screen for two hours and him get to do it in a really cool way with some gadgets. Um, but in the case of this franchise, for me, it's more, more so a case of a guy who is fundamentally flawed in the sense that he just believes so much in the idea that he will somehow get to the the end point of stopping the whole part happening. Um, and it's so, like, I don't know, it gives me so much energy. Every time, every single time, he says something like, we'll make it. We'll somehow figure it out. We'll make it. It's just like an energy sort of thing. of like, just like in my vein, I just go, fuck, well, I guess we'll make it. <laughs> sort of thing. Um, and the last movie, especially, was a great, the height of the franchise for me was the last movie of us, like, because it was the maximum stakes. It was like a nuclear bomb. He's in a helicopter. He's crashed. <laughs> he's hanging from a cliff. <laughs> he fell from the helicopter. He is, he got hit by a car on a motorbike. He's, he got stabbed at one point, I think. <laughs> um, it's just a great franchise that gets better as it goes along for me. Um, and that character is so great. I love him so much. <laughs> How do you feel about the character? Yeah, I think he he is he is a better Bond. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't think there's any debate to be had about that. Yeah, especially the earlier Bonds. Yeah, definitely. Um, like I said, I I think Fallout is probably you know it's up there with some of the greatest action films ever made 
I and that's a bold claim. Yeah. But you have you have like the it's seamlessly blended the the character of Ethan Hunt mm-hmm. with a high stakes nuclear bomb story. Yeah. Because if you have at, at this point, if you have the nuclear bomb's gonna go off. Oh no. <laughs> it's like a it's like a thing. Like a lot, a lot of films have gone there. It's a it's not quite the level of blue beam into the sky, but it's nearly there. Yeah, yeah, it's almost there. But in this film, it just, it just, you don't feel that. You don't feel that nuclear bomb fatigue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and to have that blended with a really a good character, both morally and writing wise, mm-hmm. to have it both feel that, that personal edge to it. And without without it being on the nose either, yeah. Like there's not necessarily anything like, oh, you're you're a good person, well done. It's like a, a thing where it's just an, another obstacle for Hunt to overcome. Yeah. It's not it's not necessarily a question of, well, we we could do it by killing all these prison guards. In his mind, it's a case <laughs> yeah. of, we're not gonna. Yeah, I think it's like um, the Tom Cruise factor that still that still the world character. Where people often go on about how Tom Cruise as a person is quite intense and quite like a we're doing this and we're definitely doing this sort of thing, um, and like I I don't doubt that there's some probably some bad things that he's done or whatever and people have been a bit iffy about him sometimes. But for me, there's something so infectious about this guy who is so like I don't know, just so like we're doing this and we're doing it my way. And it's gonna be really good. We're gonna really appreciate it. Um, and I think that's distilled down to this really good moral character in Ethan, in, yeah, in Ethan Hunt, which is just a character who is saying, okay, I can't give up the people that I like and love in my life. I'm going to just, I'm going to do the hardest way, I'm going to do this task the hardest way you could possibly do it. I'm going to climb onto this helicopter <laughs> sort of thing. Um, it's kind of like a character who continually and almost always against him like the odds are almost against him but continually says to himself i'm going to do this the hard way because it's much more righteous to do it this way um it's worth it it's much yeah it's worth it and seeing him have these little tiny remote for like relaxation at the end of the film is i know for me i know for everyone like the gun barrel to the to the screen thing of james bond is kind of like an iconic thing but for me, like an iconic, way more iconic thing for me is just seeing Ethan Hunt relax at the end, at the end of the movie. <laughs> but something so nice about having a movie of so much tension, and at the end having him, like in the last one, in a hospital bed, having a nap essentially, <laughs> and barely moving, and kind of just going, Fuck, thank God. <laughs> uh, and then again, in the fourth movie, when he hits a car and he gets out and he's got a broken leg and all that, after he hits a button, he kind of just rolls, rolls on the ground and just goes, <sighs> <laughs> it's one of those, like for me that's like an iconic sort of staple of this movie and I and I, I feel it every time in my soul like the the pressure leaving your body of like thank god sort of thing um yeah I, yeah this character is going to I think he's a great character and an amazing action sort of thing yeah <laughs> I I don't actually I don't really have any more oh okay that um one... I just to, I I have I did write a few more down, but the ones that I wanted to really talk about, I've gone through. Mm. Other ones I've referenced are um, I wrote down Stark and Rogers. Yeah, oh, that's mine. Twenty. 
Tony Stark <laughs> that I put down for you. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, I got one right. You got one. Um, others were Luke, Lair and Han. Luke is the new one. Yes, I got two Oh, options. you got me. <laughs> um, I put Ray, John Luther, John McClane. Mm-hmm. I put Ethan Hunt. Yeah. Sarah Connor, um, David Tennant's Doctor. Mm, okay. And um, Cavill Superman. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. I. Sorry. I was just saying when we're pushing the time, sort of like two hours, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, yeah those are the ones I was going. I was going to mention, but I feel like I I hadn't prioritised them in my list because um we we've sort of talked about a lot of them before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I I had others that I wanted to pay attention to. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. I have some more, but I can just like quickly go through them. Okay. Yeah, we could do that. So, mine. My number one, but Peter Parker from Tobey Maguire version. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's another one of my three. I, again, I was like, I put it quite low down because I feel like I've went through it quite many, like a lot of times. So, I feel like if you know me for longer than two minutes, you know that I love this character for a lot of reasons. But um, yeah, um, Indiana Jones, I kind of briefly mentioned at the beginning. He's kind of a great sort of similar to Bernard Blanc, sort of kind of a the the perfect archetype of a character but also not quite there yet um also samwise gamsey from lord of the rings <laughs> I, was, I really really like him uh, um rocky from the rocky films oh yeah uh, Martin, marty mcfly from back to the future oh yes uh, and george bailey from um, it's a wonderful life he's one of my favorite characters oh ever. i've forgotten about that yeah he's I a love that film. he's a, it's one of my favorite films ever and i think he's a great He's just a great protagonist, and I feel like that film was perfectly geared towards um, James Stewart, the actor, for that character. Um, yeah, but that's my list, essentially. Yeah. My my third one um, that I've written down for you is Cavill Superman. Yeah, I was I was going to do that, but I feel like I did that in the post and the other episode yeah. we did about films. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, we've got we've we've got I think between us there. We've created quite a comprehensive list. Your object- objectively best list ever, you know. <laughs> no one can argue against it. Yeah, it's concrete. It's fact. Yeah. yeah. All other top 100 film characters are now copyright. Especially from Rotten Tomatoes or Empire, you know. Mm, definitely. <laughs> Toss that shit in the bin. Absolutely. <laughs> um, right. Do you want to bring us home? Yeah, okay. So, thank you for listening to us, because we've been on going on for quite a while now about protagonists. Uh, but I hope you enjoyed it. We're your uh, heroes, or you're yeah. our heroes. Well, maybe both. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, so I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, uh, give us a review on iTunes. I think we can give like a little review for us, constructive feedback. Um, also, we have an Instagram, like I said before, at, uh, at Marvelous Signal Podcast doing Star Wars interview at the moment. Um, and, yeah, at Twitter, at Cinema Marvelous. Um, yeah, that's it for now, I think. Is it? Mm, I think <laughs> okay. so. I think that's everything. Okay. Well, see you later. Thank <laughs> you for listening. Bye.